as Susan was saying, we learn many different ways to pray. And I remember one of the first things I was told was, prayer is just talking to God. So all you have to do is talk to God. But it still seems like in 25 years of ministry, that still people come to me and ask questions about prayer. They wonder about how to pray or what's the right way? Is there a right way? Why isn't my prayer life feel full and rich? Or maybe they struggle and say, I want to talk to God, but I don't know what to say. I'm not sure how to say it. Sometimes it's because we've heard someone else praying. We've been in church or we've been in a small group and there's that person and people come and say, well, I hear them pray and they're just so good at praying. They just know all the right words. And people will say, well, you just have to talk to God. But the interesting thing is when Jesus talks about prayer, that's not his instruction. He doesn't say just talk to God. In fact, he gives words to do, words to say. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today is these words that Jesus gave to his followers 2,000 years ago and words that he gives to us today for what to say when we pray. We realize Jesus not only teaches us how to pray, but he models a life of prayer. And so as we're looking at this, we're going to even be thinking a little bit about how did we see this in the life of Jesus? So we're going to be looking at what we often call the Lord's Prayer and some traditions referred to as the Our Father, found in Matthew chapter 6. It's also found in Luke chapter 11. We're going to be going through the whole thing rather quickly, looking at it as a big overview. If you want to go into more detail, I did do a series on it uh, back in May of 2020, and so you can find that on our website. We spent about six, seven weeks going through line by line on this. But we want to start first and kind of see this as a big picture, because sometimes when we get in verse by verse, we miss the big picture. And so what does Jesus say about prayer? He says this, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. And so when Jesus uses the word pagans, he simply means those who are not Jewish. And it's this image of people going on and on and on, these long prayers. And so if you were to read some of the classic literature and read about these stories, there'd be these long, elaborate prayers using lots and lots of words. And the idea is if you use the right words, if you use enough words, maybe you can convince the gods to listen. But he says, our God is different. He says, don't be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. In other words, he's saying, you don't need to use all these words. You don't need to try and convince or manipulate or twist God. But God already knows what you need before you even ask him. And it's not exactly the same, but I was thinking of how in certain situations, and maybe you've done this, where you're getting, you need to ask somebody for something. You're seeking something out. I know I've had a couple issues in the last few months with, I got a product that wasn't working. I bought a rain jacket that was supposed to be, well, the rain jacket like sucked the rain in. I mean, I think I was wetter wearing the jacket than if I hadn't even put the jacket on. And I thought, oh, and it, but it had been a month or two since I bought the jacket. And I wasn't sure what to do. And I was all worried about it and thinking about all the arguments I'd have to use with the company. And I sent them an email, said, my jacket's not working, and here's some pictures of how wet it is inside. And I was thinking, well, they're going to tell me why it doesn't work anymore and what I'm going to have to do. And I was going through all these arguments. I get an email back, fine, we'll send you a new one. I thought, wow, that was easy. And then I was thinking, 
This is sometimes how we treat God is that we think we're going to go to God and we're going to have to come up with all these elaborate arguments and all these reasons we're going to do it. But God already knows what we need. And he says, just ask. And so he knows what we need and he invites us to pray. And so we're going to look at this prayer then that Jesus offers to his followers, to us, and how this might help us in our life of prayer. And he begins with saying, who we're praying to. And he says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And he's saying, this then is how you should pray. And Luke, if we were to go over to Luke chapter 11 and look, he says, use these words. Say this. So he's not saying, well, if we come up with whatever he's, Jesus is saying to us, saying to his followers, he said, if you want to know what to say when you pray, here it is. Here's the script. Here's what you can say. And I think the picture is for the Jewish people, the faithful followers of God, back in Jesus' day, they prayed regularly three times a day. The morning, afternoon, and evening. And there were set prayers they did, and then also other prayers that they introduced. And I think what Jesus is suggesting is, every time you pray, at least those three times, use these words to pray. And in fact, we say it every, nearly every Sunday here at church. Here at Fruitland Covenant Church, we use those words. We, we said it right after I concluded the prayer. We joined together. And this has been the practice of Christians for nearly 2,000 years. From the beginning of the church, there was an early instruction book called the Didache. And it was given to the followers of Jesus. It's about 100 years after the time of Jesus as a way to say what it looks like to follow Jesus. And in there it said, say this prayer three times a day. And through the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church and down through the ages. And in fact, in the time of the Reformation, we think, oh, the Catholics, they didn't know what they were doing. Folks like John Calvin and Martin Luther all said, use this prayer on a regular basis. Teach it to your children. Learn to recite it and recite it on a daily basis. It probably wasn't until about 100 years or so ago when we started thinking of, well, we need to be a little more independent. We need to be more free in our thinking that the church and the people of Jesus stopped saying it on a regular basis. So I think in part what we can do is recapture this and say, it's okay to say it on a regular basis. In fact, it's a good practice. It's what Jesus tells us to do. He says, when you pray, say this. And so that's what he's doing. And he begins and introduces, he says, we begin by calling God Father. Now, Jesus wasn't unique in doing this. He wasn't the only one. The Old Testament uses that language of Father. But for Jesus, it was the regular pattern. This was his normal way of doing it. Now, certainly Jesus had a unique relationship with God the Father, but he invites us to experience that, to enter into this relationship and say, we're going to pray to God the Father, the one who is the creator, the king, the redeemer. Father implies relationship. And so Jesus says this, remembering that entering into this, we remember who it is we are praying to in his nature. Because sometimes we have a tendency, our minds wander, our hearts wander, and we forget who God is and what God is like. And you say, oh, I don't forget, but we may not forget consciously, but subconsciously in the way we think about what God is like. We begin to pray and we begin to treat God differently. And by beginning to say our God is our Father, we're reminding ourselves at the very beginning of the nature of God is one who's in relationship with us. A picture of a God who cares about us. The picture of the God who knows what we need and desires to give us good things. 
It's really a way to start the prayer with a good focus on our attitude. Like the way Wesley Hill writes when he talks about this, he says, remembering, he says, go find a quiet place where you can relax. Jesus seems to say, unclench your fists. Breathe deeply. Let your heart rate decrease. Know that you're already bathed in the Father's love. And simply ask for what you need. And the assurance that the one to whom you're speaking is already cupping his ear in your direction. He says that's what prayer should be. That's the picture when we begin with this language of our Father, is beginning with that place of knowing that the God we're praying to and reminding ourselves that the God we are praying to already knows what we need. He's leaning forward, cupping his ear and saying, go ahead and ask. And so simply that first phrase that Jesus gives to us puts us in the proper position, the proper attitude to know that we don't have to twist God's arm. We don't have to convince him with fancy words. We don't have to manipulate God or plead, but we simply have to go to one who is our father. And so then the rest of the prayer, Jesus gives us the kind of things we pray for. And he kind of puts it in two blocks. There's kind of two sets of, we use the word in church, petitions. In other words, asking or supplication, or kind of these fancy words we use, but things we're asking for God. And the first section is kind of prayers for God and His glory, and the second are prayers for blessing of others, or we could say the love of God and the love of others. So we'll begin with the prayers that Jesus invites us to direct to God. And for us, He says, this then is how you should pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then He goes on, He's saying what? Hallowed. How many of you use hallowed on a regular basis? How many of you are using the word hallowed sometimes this month? So what, what's, the, what's, the, what's the holiday at the end of the month? Halloween. Halloween. Yeah, there we go, right? <laughs> Halloween, hall, hallowed means set apart. And Halloween comes from All Hallows Eve. It was an old a church holiday. And so now it's just candy fest. I mean, I don't know why we just don't call it what it is, right? <laughs> Eat lots of candy day is really what it is. So, but Halloween, hallowed. And so the picture is of our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In other words, your name is set apart. You are different. You are unique. And the thing is, we're saying God is doing this. It's not us hallowing God's name. It's God himself doing us. It's a question we have to ask ourselves to say, what do we want raised on high? What do we want elevated? Is it God's name or something else? Do we want our hopes and our dreams and our desires? And so when Jesus invites us into this prayer, he's inviting us to reorder our desires because our desires are often to have our self lifted up, our dreams lifted up, our desires. And he begins the prayer by saying, first of all, it should be for God's name to be lifted up. And then he goes on and he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we think of God's kingdom, which Jesus has been teaching on, is God's work in the world to reorder and restore all things. This has been the theme of Jesus' ministry. The kingdom is bringing about God's restoration. So just a few sample verses, Matthew 4.23. Jesus went throughout, the Galilee, throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. The kingdom looks like healing in the end of sickness. And he says, but if it, in Matthew 12.28, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. 
The kingdom of God is the pushing out the forces of darkness and the forces of evil. Or again in Luke 10, 9, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. Or in Luke chapter 4, he talks about good news to the poor and sight for the blind and leaving the lame. So the kingdom of God is the release of captives. It's this way of saying the world is changing. This part of the prayer is an aching for the whole story to be complete. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Is to say, God, we want to see you all in all at a cosmic level and at a personal level. Where there's peace and justice and wisdom. To say, your will be done in my life too. Where I'm living a life that reflects who you are. In part, we know and we admit every week and we know it each and every day that God's will isn't being done. That his kingdom is not yet here complete on earth. We see it in sickness and we see it in illness. We see it in violence. We see it in broken families. We see it in people who are starving. We see it in greed and idolatry and lust. All sorts of ways that it's not being said. But what Jesus is saying is our longing should be for God's kingdom to be complete. And it's also a reminder that he will be that way. That one day God will make all things right. So to pray for the kingdom to come is to pray for that, but it's also to pray and admit Jesus is the king and to submit to him, to live our lives of obedience that look like what Jesus has been teaching in the Sermon on the Mount by the power of the Spirit. So this first section in some sense is a reordering of our desires, of the things we want, because reality is that's how we're driven. We're driven by the things we want. Our life is directed at that, and so a design, Jesus invites us into this prayer to reorder our desires, so we should yearn for God's name to be lifted up, not our own. We should yearn for God's kingdom, not our own kingdom. We should yearn for God's will and not our own, and we see this in the life of Jesus. Jesus consistently does this. He desires, he says, I give glory to the Father. He points to God. He teaches about God's kingdom coming. And near the end of his life, when Jesus comes to the point where he's getting ready to offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins, he's in the garden and he's praying and he knows this struggle is coming. And he uses those very words where he says, not my will, but your will be done. You see, Jesus wasn't, didn't just give some words and say, here's some good things to learn, but he lived those out and he demonstrated them. And then he, we shift in this second set of petitions from you speaking to God to we. And it's important to notice that as we do this, it's give us today our daily bread, our debts, lead us not into temptation. We have a tendency when we pray to make it me and mine. But Jesus is talking about our. We're praying not just for ourselves, but for our friends, our family around us, for the people in the pews around us. We're praying for people all around the world. Asking for bread, for forgiveness and a moral life. So he says, give us today our daily bread. And in part, this seems like the easiest part of prayer, the intuitive part. I mean, do we really need to be taught how to ask for things? Did you ever, if you had children or grandchildren, did you have to teach them, if you want something, ask for it? Or did they just naturally come by that? They figure out how to ask, right? 
And so why is Jesus even telling us? He said, I mean, that should be the easiest part of prayer. It's like, I mean, we're all good at this part of prayer. God, I need this. But notice it's not give me what I want. But a reminder in some sense, give us this day our daily bread, a reminder that God is the source of life. It's a dependence on God. God, you provide for this. I didn't earn it by my hard work, I didn't, but instead you provide. And also, it's give us today our daily bread. And a reminder that we need to look beyond ourselves to the needs of others. And then he goes on and says, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And now here you think, well, wait a minute, that's not what we said earlier. What did we say earlier? Trespasses. And depending on the church you grew up, you grew up in, you may have said sins and those who sin against us. So sins, debts, trespasses, which one is it? It's all of them. I mean, they're just, they're, what are they? They're different images, different pictures of what it looks like. A sin is what? Some, a transgression of God. A debt is something that's owed. A trespass is crossing a barrier. And so it's just different ways of understanding the same picture. And what does it do? It reminds us, first of all, we need forgiveness. We need forgiveness. And it's kind of a picture of saying God has forgiven us. Therefore, we forgive others and extend God's grace. And if we don't forgive, we show we are not forgiven. In other words, forgiven people forgive others. And it's not that our forgiveness earns God's forgiveness. It's just a way of extending. And it's a way as we say this, Forgive us our sins as we also forgive those who sin against us. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. It's a reminder that we are loved by God and forgiven, but it also allows us to love others. This is the kingdom ethic. This is what Jesus taught consistently is forgive those who sin against you. Be a forgiving people. The mark the central, one of the central ideas, the stories in the Christian faith is we are forgiven in God. That through the death of Jesus on the cross, we are forgiven and our sins are as far as the east is from the west. And then Jesus says, now you also not only teach about this forgiveness, but extend this forgiveness to forgive those around you. And so Jesus is inviting us as we pray to say, this is, we need to be a forgiving people. And for all of us who have tried to forgive people when we've been hurt, it's not easy. And so what is Jesus inviting? In some sense, he's saying, here, God, I want to pray about this because I know it's something I need. I know it's something I need. I need to be forgiven, but I also need to forgive others. And God, I need your help. And he concludes by saying, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It's a whole lot going on in that one. Again, I would refer you back to May of 2020 in my sermon on that. But essentially, in short, the short version of it is, God's not going to tempt us. It's not what it's saying, but there will be tests that God offers, and those are for growing our faith. And this really is a way of saying, help us, God, to be prepared for the test. It's saying we're going to face temptations in life. We're going to face struggles. And our goal is to be faithful. And he's saying, but the path to faithfulness is not our own strength or skills, but dependence on God. 
This is a prayer to be preserved when tempted. It's a prayer to live a moral and a holy life. So lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil. And it's this prayer of saying, God, we want to live a life pleasing to you. And we're going to face all sorts of challenges, all sorts of temptations around us. So God, help us to walk through that. And then you may have noticed in the words that Jesus said, we're missing the last part of what we typically say. But that is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And it's not in the earliest manuscripts, but it does occur in some of the early church teaching. And it's just a great way to, fitting way to end this when we say it publicly. But I wanna, what I want us to see is as we pray, it's a way of forming ourselves. We sometimes think of prayer as just simply something we're asking God for or we're having this conversation with God. But as Jesus gives us prayer, as we say it, it's also forming and shaping our heart. It's forming and shaping our desires. So Scott McKnight says it this way. He says, when we are done, in other words, done saying this prayer, our desires have been reordered to God and to others. Reordered to God, remember, his name, his kingdom, his will. So we're reordering our desires to God and reordering our desires when it comes to others, making sure that others are fed as well as ourselves, making sure that we have forgiven others and relationships are being restored, making sure that we are leading not only us, remember we say, lead me not, it's not lead, me, not lead me into temptation, but lead us not. And so we're praying for others that they would lead moral and holy lives. So our desires have been reordered to God and to others. And in having those desires, in other words, those desires that have been reordered, we find ourselves as God has made us to be. Being, being designed to have proper loves, that is love for God and love for others. It's the reordering of our life and our love because when we love rightly, we love how God has called us to be. So I think the thing as we kind of come closer to the conclusion is realize this is not something just to be studied, but it's something to be practiced and said. I like the way one author put it, he said, to study the Lord's Prayer without participating in it is to be like a death row inmate who gets the pardon from the governor and stands in the cell studying the signature instead of leaving the cell. He says, instead, what we're inviting, Jesus gives us his prayer, and he says, pray like this. He's not saying, well, study it and figure out all the words and understand the nuances. He says, no, live this as a life of prayer. So I'm going to give four possible ways you might do this, and there are lots of different ways to do that but a couple of different ways you might practice this prayer. One is, use it as the closing time of prayer, just like we do here on Sunday mornings. As you finish your prayer, conclude with the words. When you've said all that you think you're going to say, begin with that. Or you may use that as a way to begin your prayer time. As you sit down to pray and as you're kind of gathering your thoughts and you're thinking through the day and stuff, just say, well, Jesus said, this is how to pray. And so you sit down and you begin praying, Our Father, in heaven, hallowed be your name. And we're already starting to reshape ourselves and think, I had all these ideas, but this is what Jesus wants me to pray for, and that's how I'm going to pray. Another way you might do it is simply use it as a framework for your prayers. So you start off and you say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So what are the ways that I can praise God? 
your kingdom come, your will be done. Think about all those ways in which in your own life or in the world that God's kingdom needs to come and His will to be done. Give us today our daily bread. You begin to think through, what are the needs in my life? What are the needs in my neighbor's life? What are the needs of the people around me? And so it can become kind of a framework or an outline. Or it can be simply what some people in the church over the ages have called a breath prayer. In other words, it's just slowly repeating it until it sinks in and becomes as natural as breathing. So you simply, and we think, we struggle in particular in the churches that I've grown up and we've learned of, which is like, oh, repetition of prayer. And Jesus just said, don't be like the pagans or you're babbling. But remember, there's a difference between repeating the words to try and convince God or repeating them to begin. And so we can simply say that prayer, maybe as we're fading off to sleep at night, you're just kind of repeating the words and what happens as those words then become as natural as our breath and our breathing. Last way you might do it is just maybe take a phrase a day. Just over the course of the week, in each part of your prayer, on Monday, you're saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And that just becomes a part of your prayer. And then on the next day, you know, your kingdom come. Maybe the next day, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A way to structure it and to begin to put our lives together. Jesus offered this to us as a gift. Because he knows that one of the greatest gifts we have is the opportunity to pray, to be in God's presence, to, to talk to God, to bring our requests before him. And he says, I want you to know how to do this, and I want you to pray in a way that begins to shape and order your hearts and order your desires. And so God invites us to pray this way. Jesus offers this as a way to pray. And so as we close the sermon, I would invite us again to say those words together. They're not up on the screen, but I would invite you simply as you know those words or simply to listen in as we pray together. And one of the traditions in the many churches is to simply use, say, begin with says, as Jesus taught us, we are bold to say. And it's just this reminder that these are the words given by Jesus. So let us pray together as Jesus taught us and pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.